I'm enjoying going through the Gospel of Luke together as a church. As we continue this morning, the first thing I want to start with is this. I want to talk about one of the main reasons that people get mad at God. Why some people hate God. And a lot of times it's because somebody gets sick and dies. Somebody that is dear, a a close relative, love this person, dearly love this person. That person gets sick. And we go to God and we pray and we ask God heal, God deliver, God save, please. And that person dies. And a lot of people end up saying, God, I prayed to you, you didn't answer. So either you don't exist or I hate you. Those are the two options. Men and women, we are in a broken world. Broken relationships, broken bodies. And there is oftentimes when we go to God and we want Him to move. We want a faith healer. We want a miracle. We want something delivered. Jesus is a faith healer. We're going to see this morning, Jesus is a faith healer. But maybe not like you think. Right? Maybe not like you think. Because, because when I say faith healer, what comes to mind? Isn't it a dude in a white suit? Right? And he's got a ton of plastic surgery that's been done on him, right? He's got the hair helmet. You know the hair helmet? It reminds me of Lego hair, right? Like, right? Just pop that on there. That's the kind of guy that comes to mind for me. And then what's he do? He starts, he does weird stuff. He blows on people. What's with that? I don't get blows. Or he smacks them on the forehead. The organ starts playing in the background. That's what we think of when we say faith healer. And I'm saying Jesus is a faith healer, but maybe not like you think. In fact, let's look at this. We'll begin in Luke chapter 4, verse 31. We're going to read several uh, verses in this passage, but first, just the first two verses here, 31 and 32. And when he came down to Capernaum, excuse me, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now, wait, that doesn't sound like a faith healer, some miracle worker. That sounds like a preacher, a teacher, somebody just teaching the Word of God. And remember what I told you last week, Jesus gave us his mission. He said he came with a mission to proclaim. He was going to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty, the year of the Lord's favor. It is a ministry he seeks of proclaiming, of preaching the Word of God. It is a preaching ministry. Nonetheless, remember, they chased him out of his hometown of Nazareth. And so he goes to a city called Capernaum. It's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this would become his base of operations for the first part of Christ's ministry. And what he does is he starts, continues teaching in synagogues. That's his ministry, teaching. And as he does so, they realize something is different about this rabbi. See, the rabbis, what they would typically do is just refer to other rabbis. Put you to sleep. Well, I believe such and such because I'm a disciple of Rabbi so-and-so who said this, who quoted Rabbi so-and-so who said, I mean, you'd be to sleep quick. All of a sudden, Jesus comes along. He doesn't play that game. He teaches in a whole different way. And evidently, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's got authority. He's got power. His word heals. He is healing with his words. Does that mean he's a faith healer? Well, here's maybe what we more expect from a faith healer. Let's continue the passage in chapter 4, verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! 
What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Okay, did it just get weird? Like demon possession? Really? That's kind of hinky stuff. Is that, is that stuff real? What's going on there? Now, as moderns, we want to go, that stuff, that, that's, that's weird. That must be myth. That must be legend. That must not be real. And so what some want to do is they want to translate this, that the guy had a spirit of uncleanness, like Pigpen and Charlie Brown. Right? Like, he's just got a spirit of general uncleanness, and we need Jesus to, like, cast the dirt out of him so he's tidy. And I hope that's true, because that gives me hope for my son. Because the boy, I've seen his room. He's got a spirit of uncleanness. Maybe Jesus can heal him. But that's actually not what's going on here. This is actually, uh, uh, this guy is demonized. Now, we get into an issue here called chronological snobbery. And what that means is by our position in history, we look back on all prior generations as if they're idiots. And we got, we've arrived. Do you not realize that we're just one step in history? There will be future generations looking back on us, thinking we're idiots. And just because something's old doesn't mean they're stupid. We will see in, in verse 40 and 41 of this passage that those people actually, they knew stuff that was medical and stuff that was spiritual. They knew how to discern that. And remember, Dr. Luke is writing this. He's a medical doctor. They know when something is actually demonic in origin. And this can happen. This does happen. Two weeks ago, I told you that demons are real and they are limited. But evidently, one of the things they can do, uh, possession is not as great of a term, maybe demonize, to, to demonize somebody. And that, that has various levels to it. But basically, it means to be heavily influenced by demons. You go, oh, come on. We don't really see that much today, right? And so we're like, is that real? Listen, folks, the Bible actually doesn't talk about demons much at all. Like prior to the incarnation of Jesus, it talks about demons some, but not very much. After the ascension of Jesus, it talks about demons some, but not much. It's really during Christ's ministry on earth. It is go time. Game on. And there's a lot of talk about demonic activity. What is going on here? What's going on is at the uh, incarnation and then at the baptism and certainly te the temptation of Jesus, all of a sudden the evil spiritual forces, they know it's game time. And they show up in force, in mass, and it is spiritual warfare, and the demons know it. And they look at Jesus and they say, I know who you are. Now there's a couple things we can get from this. Number one, the messianic secret. Maybe you notice in the passage that Jesus not only cast the demon out, but told him to be silent. What's going on there? Why not let him proclaim who Jesus is? Well, one of the issues on the table is that the Jews are expecting and hoping for a nationalistic, uh, a military Messiah who won't fight Satan, but will fight Rome. 
And they want to then, oh, here he is. Let's get, get, your, get your sword, get your spear. Let's go. And so Jesus is kind of quelching that a little bit, saying, hey, it's, I'm here to be a suffering Savior, and it's not time for that yet. And so he's going to, shh, shh, quiet. And he's going to kind of calm that one down a little bit, the messianic secret. And the second issue that I think we can poke at here is to remind ourselves that the demons believe in Jesus. I told you this a few weeks ago. The demons believe in Jesus perhaps more than you do. In fact, I know they believe in Jesus way more than you do. But they don't have faith. They don't have trust. They don't have submission to Jesus. That's a different thing. Think of it this way. Is Donald Trump president? Absolutely yes. That's an issue of belief. That's just factual belief. Some of you have faith in Trump. Some of you don't. You see that? That's a faith issue. They take it out of our politics. Just imagine a king of some foreign land. I can by just belief, I can acknowledge the fact that guy is king. He sits on that throne. Now the question is, will I bow before him or will I take up arms against him? That's an issue of faith. The demons believe in Jesus. They don't have faith. In fact, they want to disturb the faith of others. And so Christ is going to respond with a ministry primarily of preaching truth to heal people's faith. But that's not the kind of faith healer we want. Instead, we want, well, this kind of faith healer. Let's continue in the passage. Verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. All right, so he's, he's still casting out demons, but now he's healing sick and diseased and those kind of issues. We've got a faith healer on our hands. And the very first one he healed was Simon's mother-in-law. Now, some of you know that this Simon gets renamed later to... Peter. This is the Apostle Peter that has now encountered Christ. And evidently what happened is Christ is there in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He's teaching. And you know, you go, you go out to dinner after church sometimes, right? Lunch, whatever. So, so Simon invites Christ back to his house uh, for dinner after the, the, the synagogue teaching. And when they get there, they find Simon's mother-in-law. Now, she has a high fever, it says. Doctors back in that time would distinguish between a fever and a high fever. A fever is normal. You get a fever, seven to ten days, you get over it, right? You move on, it's normal sickness. But if you have a high fever, you're in trouble. Particularly back then. You know, they're not going to give you an IV back then, right? They're not going to prescribe antibiotics so you go down to your CVS and get your script. It ain't happening. They're not going to pack you with ice. There's no ice, right? So, so you can die. She, her... Life is in the swing right here. And so when they get back, they find that Peter's mother-in-law, her fever had gone to high fever. They appeal to Jesus. Jesus heals her. 
And, and she gets up and starts to serve them. Now, it, notice it doesn't say that Peter is grateful. It's because it's his mother-in-law. <laughs> right? Like Jesus said, if it were my mom, it'd be one thing. But my mother-in-law, did you have to? Did you have to? None of that's in the text. None of that's in there, okay? Uh, actually, here's, so here's what's going on. So Jesus is in Capernaum. Capernaum is where he meets Peter and Andrew, these two brothers who own a fishing business together. He also meets two other brothers, James and John. They own a fishing business together. Those are four of his first disciples. And so what we learn there is a lot of his first followers, they're just normal dudes. They're fishermen. They're working a trade, earning a living. They've got bills to pay. They've got a house, you know. They have worries. Maybe they have tensions in their marriage, rebellious kids. These are just normal dudes who have encountered the Savior, the Son of God, the Holy One of God, and their life is going to be forever changed. Their faith is going to be healed. And not theirs only, but, but you see, it starts to go viral, right? What happens here, remember it's the Sabbath. Now on the Sabbath, one of the rules is you can't carry a load. So your sick, diseased relative is a load. You cannot carry that person to Jesus. But we think the day changes over like overnight into morning. But for them, the day changes over at sundown. So at sundown, the Sabbath is over. Now they are permitted to pick up because they, they, he healed this one guy. In this, in, uh, oh my goodness. So now they go back, they grab their sick relatives and they start bringing them to Jesus just after sundown in mass. And so there's this line forming outside the door of Peter's house for Jesus to start healing people. Perfect. And he does. He starts healing them. And we've got the faith healer. We've got the miracle worker that we want that can heal all our earthly infirmities, that can do stuff for us. But there's a problem. Miracles are not for us. Miracles are not for us. Let me tell you three things about miracles. Number one, they are reminders. It is a foretaste of what is to come, the new heaven and the new earth. It's not where Jesus actually interrupts the right stuff. It's actually when he gives a little glimpse of what right stuff should be. He sets things right. He gives you just a little peek, a little taste. And it is temporary. I mean, okay, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Do you think she lived forever? Nope. She died of something else eventually. See, so it's just temporary, but it's a taste, a little reminder of what is to come. Because, see, for those of us who are God's adopted children, that is, you're not just dabbling in the religion of Christianity. You put your faith in Christ. You are in a relationship with Christ. You are adopted into his family. If that is true, here's what I want you to hear. You are guaranteed healing. It is not if, but when. Your healing's coming. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with cancer. I'm not saying you will be healed on earth. He might. But if not, you will be raised at the resurrection. You will be healed of that at some point. Guaranteed. It's not if, but when. We are children of God and we are guaranteed full healing at the resurrection. So what we do then as children of God is we pray. We ask him because Jesus can heal. Jesus did heal. He does heal. He will heal. He, he can do this. And so we pray and we trust him. What we need to do then is we need to pray in faith. What's it mean to pray in faith? 
Does that mean like in some Harry Potter kind of way we've got to muster up enough belief that, that the spell will actually work? Like if you believe it hard enough, then Jesus has to answer? That's not what it means. To pray in faith means two things. It means, number one, I pray believing that he can. I don't pray to Jesus, hey, heal me please, but I don't really think you can. That's not to pray in faith. It's to pray believing that Jesus is absolutely, he's the creator. He will bring healing. He can do it, period. But secondly, praying in faith means to pray, you are God and I am not. I believe you're absolutely able, but I also know you have a will. You're wiser. I submit to you, your decision, not mine. That's to pray in faith too. And so we do this as a church. Our elders carry out this task for us. They are not guys with hair helmets. None of them have hair helmets, okay? They're not our faith. What they are is their elders. And James 5 prescribes a process where the elders pray over the sick. And we do that as a church. And when we do, sometimes we occasionally get a taste, a little glimpse of the healing that is to come. Praise God for it. But we always know it's not if, but when. And that healing is coming. And we pray in faith. We do that as a church. So, these miracles are reminders, but then secondly, miracles are there to free us up for service. Think about Peter's mother-in-law. She gets healed, she gets up, and starts serving Jesus. That's our model right there. We are, sometimes we get that glimpse, that reminder, we get a healing. Why? Because we are being healed in order to serve his kingdom. But that's usually not how we pray. We actually pray, God, heal me so I can serve my kingdom. I've got a kingdom I'm building. I've got a career. I've got a family. I've got stuff I want to get done. And God, this sickness is going to interrupt it. I need you to interrupt that sickness for me. Sometimes we're not, we should be praying. We should be saying, look, God, I love your kingdom. I love your gospel. I love what you're doing in this world. I'm all in for your kingdom. And I feel like you have more work for me to do for your kingdom to extend your gospel. Will you heal me of this so I have more time on the clock to serve your kingdom? But what we're usually saying is, look, I I have more golf to play. I want to lower my handicap. And that's what we're praying for. We are actually, when God sends a healing, you are freed from that so that you can serve Jesus, just like Peter's mother-in-law. And then thirdly, here's what miracles are. They are signs. They are signs that point toward Jesus. Now, we have a problem, folks. We have what's called the curse of knowledge. Like, as we read this passage this morning, none of you gasped with awe. Okay, wait, dummy up. I just told you that there was some human being on earth that lined up scores of people and healed them all and cast out demons, and you weren't shocked. That's the curse of knowledge. You know the story already, and so you're familiar with this, and so you kind of yawn at that. I don't want to remind you that here is Dr. Luke. He is telling the story of this amazing Jesus. He's writing, remember, to Theophilus. I imagine Theophilus getting this letter and flipping the page and going, no way. That's crazy. It's amazing. That doesn't happen. And then the letter gets copied and circulated throughout the churches. And so you have believers who became followers of Jesus because they heard the gospel, the death and resurrection, but they don't know tons about Jesus. And they're reading this in church and they're going, no way. Are you kidding me? We've got the curse of knowledge, so we yawn. But you need to know this was a particularly miraculous time in human history. 
God gave a lot of miracles in order to be signs. They were to validate or authenticate the messenger and his message. They're to point to Jesus and say, there he is. There's the Messiah. That's what they're for. But here's the bit. The value of a sign is not the sign itself. The value of a sign is what it points toward. So, for example, let's say you encounter this sign. What would you do? Would you park right in front of that sign, spread your blanket right there, and go, man, I love this sign. This is a great sign. You know what we need? We need more signs like this. Let's make some and plant them right here. Wouldn't it be great to have a lot more signs? Sounds silly, doesn't it? Because what you would do is you wouldn't care about the sign. You care about what the sign points toward. And you'd go past the sign and you'd go to the beach. Because the beach is awesome. Miracles are signs. We're not supposed to love the miracles. We're supposed to love the one the miracles point toward and go to him and to worship him and enjoy him. That's what they are. They are signs. Don't sit around hoping for more signs. Go to the one to whom the signs point. And so this is what miracles are. They are reminders. They free us for service to God's kingdom. And then they are signs. We don't like that. Because that means miracles aren't about us. They're about Jesus. We want a faith healer to do for us what we want him to do. And so here's Jesus, and what he's doing is he's preaching the word of God. We're saying, we don't want a sermon. We don't want a savior. We want a faith healer to do some stuff for us. In fact, we don't want God. We want God's goodies. Don't give us God. Don't give us Jesus. Don't give us truth about him. Give us stuff that we want. You know what we are? We're gold diggers. You know what a gold digger is, right? Usually it's a younger, more attractive woman married to an older, perhaps less attractive dude. And you're scratching your head at Starbucks going, how did that, how do you do that? Because he's rich. He's rich. He's wealthy. And that's the gold digger concept because she doesn't love him. She doesn't want him. She's not after him. She wants his stuff. And if we are not careful, we are gold diggers with God. We don't love you. We don't want you. Don't give us a sermon. Don't give us you. We want your stuff. Give us goodies. Give us a healing. Give us a miracle. We want a faith healer. In fact, all these people in this passage, they wanted a faith healer. So they line up after sundown, and and Jesus is doing healings all night long. Dawn breaks. He's actually pretty tired at this point because he's human. And he realizes he has a need to reconnect with his Father in heaven. He needs time away to meditate on the Word and to pray to his Father. And so he's going to sneak away to a a desolate place, maybe out into the woods, where he can have a quiet time or a devotional. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus can't even have a quiet time. 
They hunt him down in the woods to find him and to say, hey, uh, we actually, listen, Jesus, there's more people coming. Let's go. This is awesome. It's going to be day two of the Jesus revival. Put on your white suit. Here you go. Put on your hair helmet. Let's go. This is going to be a great faith, healing, miraculous ministry. And Jesus says, no. What? Jesus, look at it. No. Because he's saying, I'm not that kind of faith healer. I came to heal your faith by preaching the word of God. So he insists on a ministry of preaching, of going town to town. He started out with preaching. He got sidetracked into miracles. Now he's going to go back to preaching. And he, he leaves them and he goes and preaches throughout all the towns and synagogues. This is a man on a mission. This is a man who knows his purpose. This is a man who will not be distracted by the applause of the crowds, but he's going to fulfill the mission of God on his life. A couple things we can glean from that. Number one, if you encounter a ministry that is focused on miraculous signs, oops, because even Jesus wouldn't do that. He turned from that to go back to preaching. That's a problem. But I don't mean to imply by that that Jesus doesn't care about our earthly pains. Clearly he does. He was healing tons of people, right? And so what we need is a ministry not only of word proclamation, but also of deeds, of caring about people. Jesus did that. Redemption Chapel does that. We are right now lining up and getting ready to launch even more into a ministry of, of foster care. Where we are going to try to raise up more people to be foster parents. And if you're not one of those, then we're going to be a part of a congregation that is supporting the people who are. As well, we're going to be getting more into addiction recovery ministry. Because you addicts keep coming. We can't keep you out, right? And we love it. And so in both cases, actually, people, we don't have a choice in this. God has decided. They keep coming. And, it's, and all we can do is get on board with Jesus on this. Okay, God, let's go. We care not only about the word, but also about the deed. They need to harmonize. They need to go together. Absolutely, yes. But one is more important than the other. And Jesus exemplified that to us. In fact, some of you have heard me quote this phrase before. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, these words. Some of you love that phrase. I hate that phrase. And some of you don't like me because of it. I love you too. It's okay. But try to square that phrase with what Jesus just did. He's got a ministry of all kinds of gospel proclamation through doing good works. They're all lined up. And he says, nope, I'm leaving that because I've got to go preach the word. I've got to go use words to tell people about the gospel. I, I don't know how you get around that. But here's why. I think Jesus is absolutely brilliant. You've heard the phrase, work smarter, not harder. That's what he's doing. Work smarter, not harder. Okay, so Jesus lays his hands and he heals people. He's got two hands. So the disciples will go, oh, I know. Let's put people in two lines. Everybody only gets five seconds. If we keep moving quick, maybe we can get a couple hundred in a day next day. And so what we're going to do is turn Jesus into a plate spinner. How many plates can he spin in a day? And this person that I healed of cancer, now this person has congestive heart failure, so i got to run over there and spin that again. And how many can Jesus do? What if? What if instead of being that kind of faith healer, what if he heals your faith? What if he reopens heaven? 
What if he guarantees you that if you're a child of his, that it won't be if, but when? What if he guarantees that all of us get healed at some point? See, what if he's dealing not with your symptomatic problem? What if he's dealing with the deeper problem you have? He's working smarter, not harder. To understand, okay, let's say you go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, and the reason why is because you've had like a big change in vision, a very sudden change in vision. So you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, wow, uh, you know what, we're going to do a scan. They do a scan, they find you have a brain tumor. So what the doctor says is, I, I know how to deal with this. We'll write you a prescription for new glasses. Because that was your problem, right? It was a change in vision. And so the doctor's just going to fix your vision. Good doctor? Bad doctor. Bad doctor. What we need that doctor to do is go, no, your bigger problem is the brain tumor. We've got to work on that. And that's what Jesus is doing. Whatever symptom you brought to me, I get it. That's important. We're going to work. But listen, I need to solve your bigger problem. You have a cancer of your soul. You need a faith healer, one who heals your faith. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going to give you God himself. He's going to reconnect you with God. He's going to allow you back into relationship with God. He's going to give you salvation. He's not just going to heal your fever. He's going to heal you forever. That's different. That's the kind of faith healer I need. In fact, I want to share with you guys a little bit about my family's journey over the last year uh, because we needed a faith healer in our lives. Um, back in the fall, my daughter, uh, well, actually, it started a while back. Uh, my daughter, Madison, she's 16 now. love that little girl. She's always dealt with anxiety and depression to some degree. Um, anxiety is the bigger kicker for her, but She's also epileptic. So my daughter, uh, about way over a year ago, she moved from having absence seizures where she just spaces out into having a grand mall. Those are the big ones. And because of that, we had to put her on some medication to control her seizures. And the uh, neurologist prescribed Keppra. The difficulty with Keppra is I had not too long ago done a funeral from a child of our church who was epileptic on Keppra and took his own life um, during college. And uh, that is a part of the side effects of Keppra. Uh, Keppra can lead, she already had it, but it can lead towards more anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation. And we almost lost my daughter um, back in the fall. She, she uh, started uh, researching and making plans and writing letters. So it wasn't a passing thought. She was about to... Uh, figuratively pulled the trigger um, to kill herself and uh, launched us into a very, very hard period in my family's life. Uh, my, I feel free to talk about it now. My daughter is doing better. She actually chose right here to share her story with all her high school buddies in porch. And so she's put it all out there already. You can see it online. But at the time, uh, I, we didn't know how we'd get through it. She was not only suicidal, but she was beside herself. She wasn't normal. She was a, it, it was a roller coaster. We have no idea how we got through that time. I mean, there were facilities and, and counselors and doctors and medications, and we had her on a 24-7 suicide watch. My wife didn't sleep with me for a long time because she slept in my daughter's room to make sure she lived through the night and didn't kill herself. And... Uh, during that very, when it hit, the very hardest time of it, uh, my wife got a kidney stone. 
Uh, the timing was not ideal. So I've got a growing church that I'm leading, and, and yet Shannon can lead the charge in taking care of Mattis. Oh, nope. So now my wife is vomiting from the pain. And so now I've got to be nursemaid to my wife and try to keep my daughter alive. So we get Shannon to the ER to get a, a scan done, and they said, yeah, you have a huge kidney stone. It's going to take some time to pass. And oh, by the way, ma'am, uh, from the scan, we found a mass on your, on your pancreas. I don't know if you know much about pancreatic cancer. You don't live through that one. Uh, that's a killer. And, uh, and, and like my daughter turned out okay, actually some of our bigger scrapes with our daughter would come down the road uh, in December. She almost took her life again there and God intervened and, and, and since then changing her meds. That was a battle, by the way. Uh, I remember being on the phone with a neurologist. Uh, the Keppra is going to kill her. She said, but it's controlling the seizure so well. And I said, listen, ma'am, if she is seizure-free and kills herself, that's not a net win for us. <laughs> it's not a net win. But God intervened, and, and she's doing great today. My wife, turns out we got a, a CT scan with contrast, and she doesn't have cancer. That was a shadow. She's, she's doing well. But I didn't know all of that at the time. See, we've got the curse of knowledge now. You know how it turned out. At the time, if you dial it back to that week in my life, I am faced with the very harsh reality that my daughter will likely die. It didn't look like we were going to be able to bring her through it. We thought at some point she was probably going to kill herself. I will likely lose my daughter. I will certainly lose my wife. She's going to die. And so I'm going to lose my daughter, I'm going to lose my wife, and I'm going to be left with the boy who has a spirit of uncleanness. <laughs> I can joke about it now, but i got to tell you this. In the midst of it, my heart was broken. And I, my daughter, now I can share it. Back then I couldn't share it all, but I did with the our elders. So we're circled up as elders, and I'm sharing with them, and I'm weeping, and I'm broken, because I realize God owes me nothing. He owes me nothing. The only thing God owes me is hell. And he's given me the cross and he's given me the resurrection. He's given me a wonderful family. And you know what? My daughter might die. I've got, I put her on the altar. I put my wife on the altar and I had to walk away and I had to realize God might take them home. And yet, my God is good. He's good. So painful. But here's the thing. I had no guarantee that he would heal Madison. I had no guarantee that he would heal Shannon. But he was healing my faith. He was bringing me to a point where I trusted him and loved him, not for what he would give, but for who he is. He's a faith healer. He was healing my faith. And I'd love for him to do the same for you. In fact, would you bow your heads right now? Will you let Jesus be your faith healer? I get that there's junk in your life, whether it's relational or medical, and there's stuff you want him to fix and heal. I don't know if he will now or later. I don't know. You might not get that request on earth. But will you let him be God? Stop trying to dictate to him, then getting upset when God doesn't obey you as if that's the way it's supposed to go. Do you want God or do you want his goodies? 
Will you stop being a gold digger? Will you just love him for who he is because he's good and he created you and he died for you and he will take you home and your healing won't be if, it will be when. We're just not sure when. And so will you let him be your faith healer? Will you let him heal what is your biggest problem? Your faith. He is calling you. He is standing there right now with his arms open wide. And you need the healing of Jesus Christ in your life to heal your faith. Will you run to him right now? And Father, I, I come to you now humbly because I, I know that was an incredibly, incredibly painful time. And I, it's hard to thank you for it. I need to. It's right to thank you, but it was hard. And yet you met me there, God. And you healed my faith. And that is one of the most precious times in my faith journey with you. You're my God. And I want to pray for these folks here that they would let you do the same. I know they have things they want you to do in their lives right now. I don't know if you will or won't. You're God. We're not. But would you heal their faith? Would you draw them to yourself? That they would love you and worship you and walk with you and go home someday. And the healing would not be if but when. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.